during this week or during last week, I was listening to Vision FM. Does anyone here listen to Vision FM? It's a great radio station, really, really good to, to listen to, and, and there's a lot of good Christian input into there, into it. Sorry? Bush disciples even support them. Did you hear that come over, did you? Yeah, righto. Yeah, very good. Um, anyway, I was listening to Vision the other day, and they're interviewing this bloke from the Rice Movement. Um, which stands for Renewal in Interchurch Evangelism. And he described himself, he said that he um, obviously couldn't see him because he's on the wireless, but um, he, he sounded just like an Aussie, but apparently he's fully Chinese, but he's, been, he's lived in Australia for, for his whole life and he just sounded like an Aussie. But he'd gone on a tour with Open Doors into some of the areas of the Middle East where the Christians are being severely persecuted by ISIS. And um, this is pretty much the story he told. I thought, as soon as I read this while reading, I thought, I want to share this story. And so I scoured the internet and I actually found where he had actually written basically what what he had said on the wireless. He said, Today I met a hero. Although he wanted me to, I will not show you his face or tell you his name because his statements are too provocative. My faith is so conditioned to be risk adverse that I double checked, aren't you afraid of saying these things? He laughs and says, afraid? I'm not afraid. They can try to hurt me, but they can't take away what is most precious. My Jesus lives in my heart and they can't take him. This man was rich. When I say rich, I mean he owned three houses, multiple cars. He had a kilometre worth of undeveloped land. He managed an office of multiple staff, which he ran along with an Islamic man who was also his best friend. When ISIS swept through his town to cleanse it of Christians, He picked up his wife and five kids and he fled for fear of their lives. As they ran, his best friend phoned him and took pleasure in telling him, him, I have taken everything of yours. I've taken your house. I am actually calling you from inside your house, which is now mine in the name of Isis. My friend replies, I will come back one day only to hear this chilling reply. No, I will chase you to the next town to which you run now and we will take everything again. The betrayal and emotional hurt added to fear for physical safety makes what ISIS do so pervasively sinister. Yet my hero friend continues, they come in the name of Isis, but we will stand firm in the name of Jesus Christ and we will not be afraid of them. We leave our houses, but I know that if we leave our faith, we lose everything. I asked him, what will you do if you see your, when you see your ex-best friend again? He smiles and says, I will love him. And I will leave him alone because my Lord teaches me to do that. But nothing could have prepared me next for what I believe is a truly prophetic message to the Western Church. Before they took away everything, 
I was a Christian only by name. But now my faith is alive. ISIS is a gift. If ISIS comes to the West, it is a gift from the Lord. It will be a wake-up call for a sleepy church. If you want to spend your time working for more money and more houses and just going along to church on Sundays, you can lose it. But if you work for God, and he points upwards, you can never lose it. So I say to the Western church, wake up, wake up. I was cut to the heart when he concluded with this assessment of us. He said, Christians in the West don't want to die because they're more in love with life than what they are with Jesus. This statement rocked me. Not because I was offended, but because deep down I know that it's true of me. And it's not like he couldn't leave. He recently got offered a visa to escape to the Czech Republic with his family, but he refused it because he says, it is God's will for me to be here. When you're a small child in your mother's womb, God already has a plan for you. He has a reason why you are alive and why you are created. God is working here and he wants me to stay. He says, the most important thing in life is passing the message of Jesus to more and more people. And since ISIS has come, more Islamic people than ever are asking us about our faith. It is so amazing when they come and say, tell me about this, Jesus. Clasping hands and sharing a holy kiss, Middle Eastern style, in this photo, which I didn't have a copy of, is hopefully just a symbol for what I pledge to continue to do. To tell their stories, to stand with my family, to love and learn from the persecuted church and to wake up and to love Jesus more than what I love my life. Today I met a hero, but he is only being like his hero. Both of us have met that one. His name is Jesus, but perhaps only one of us really looks like him, and it's not me. Jesus said, if anyone is to follow me, he should deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Now, to me, I was just really touched when I heard that testimony. Um, and when I read today's reading, I just had to get, get a hold of it and read it to you because it encapsulates the essence of today's reading. Last week, uh, Paul told us one of the most wonderful truths of the gospel message. We have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And if we've been justified by faith, well, that means a lot of stuff. Um, first thing it means is through Jesus Christ, we live in peace with God. There's peace between God and us. Now, you know, sometimes when we think of peace, we just think of peace as being an absence of hostilities. But peace means so much more than that. Peace is a tangible relationship of peace. It's a relationship of well-being between God and us. It's something which is born out of God's love for us. 
We were once enemies of God because we were against him. We were godless. We were corrupted by all sorts of sin. But we were objects of God's wrath and we were bound for judgment. That's what's been coming out in Romans so far. But then last week we got to, but now we've been justified by faith. See, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and through our faith in him, all of that has changed. We now live in peace. We now have this wonderful relationship of peace with the God. Almighty, who loves us. Now, peace is wonderful. It, it's the dream of every beauty pageant queen, isn't it? I just just love that that movie um, with Sandra Bullock in it. What's it called, Drum? Miscongeniality, and and there's you know everybody's just expecting to, her to say, "I want world peace," but she comes up with all of this stuff that actually means something, and they all sort of had no idea how to take it. But there's so much more than peace as well. We also stand in a state of grace. What that means is we are no longer desperately struggling, trying to be good enough so that we can stay at peace with God. You know, we stand in grace. We are saved by grace and we stand in grace. Through Christ, we're now living in a different realm. Um, Jane, do you ever know what country you're in when you wake up these days? You're all over the world. But some mornings you wake up and you're in a completely different realm. There's a completely different rule and reign in that country. Um, and for us as Christians, we used to be living under the law. We used to be under the wrath of God. We used to be caught up in judgment, but now we're living in a completely different realm. We're living in the realm of grace. We're living in the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of grace. There's a new set of rules. There's a new way of living. By faith, we now stand in this state of grace. We're not constantly trying to achieve our own personal righteousness to get us good enough so that we can stay good with God and not upset him. Because by faith, we now stand in grace. Everything has changed. I get, think something that a lot of us don't get, we know that everything's changed, but we don't realise that that means nothing stays the same. So guess what? There's more. We're justified by faith and so through Jesus Christ our Lord we have peace with God and we stand in grace, but there's more. We boast or we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, most of our modern versions of the Bible translated as rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And some of, some of us might feel, oh, yeah, I rejoice, but I do that very privately. You, you know, I'm, I'm a very private person. I keep all this to myself. But a, a probably a better word is boast. Now, do, do people who boast keep things to themselves? It'd be good if they did sometimes. <laughs> but no, no. This is a, a boasting, it's a very public rejoicing. 
it's not boasting about ourselves. In fact, we've got nothing at all we can boast about. And so it's a public rejoicing in what Christ has done for us. It's a public rejoicing in this gracious gift, this new hope that we have, this hope of the glory of God. Now, that's a phrase we Christians use sometimes, isn't it? Like, hope of the glory of God. We're hoping for that. What does that mean? Is anyone here hoping for the glory of God? I hope there is. I'm sort of wanting to... Oh, you've got your hands in your pockets. It's warmer there, isn't it? Yeah? Right, I'll let you keep it there. I'll just pull out one hand. What is this hope of the glory of God? Is that a hope that one day will be all nice and shiny like God is? Is God shiny? I don't know. We know that he's full of light. But is that what we're talking about? The hope of the glory of God. I think that falls very far short of the hope that we have. This life is short. Has anyone worked that out yet? The old people have? Yeah. I, um, I've sort of... Yeah, yeah, the Bible tells us we have three score years and ten. God decided that we had two full of ourselves and, right, I'm going to cut your life short to three score years and ten. Uh, young folk, does anyone know what a score is? Do you know what a score is? I'm not talking a footy score. Can any, can any young people tell me what three score years and ten is? So if I was to tell you that a score is twenty, what's three score years and ten? Seventy, good, good adding up there. Multiplication, three times twenty is sixty plus ten is seventy. Three score years and ten, seventy years. God said you should be able to live about that long. Uh, people seem to be living a fair bit longer these days through medical advances and whatnot, trying to stave off the old age. But I've always said to Robin, yeah, you know, I reckon by the time I get to seventy, I'll be ready to cark it. I'm ready to go go to be with the Lord at seventy. But you know, I just did the sums the other day. I'm two-thirds of the way there. Hey, that, that came as a bit of a shock to the system. I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I'm sort of must be about halfway there. And I'm two-thirds of the way there already. Life is short. But our hope isn't constricted to this life. Our hope is opened up to all of the vastness of eternity and it's opened up to the majesty of the glory of God and it's opened up to his transforming power. I get so frustrated with the way that I am now, not just physically. I mean, I'm I'm a bit fat and I'm not the fittest person in the world and... Um, you know, I've spent the last week and a bit feeling a bit crook and got this stuff that I've got to bring up in the morning when I get out. You don't want to hear about that. That's just awful. Um, so, but I'm not talking about physically. I'm not the sort of person I want to be physically. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking spiritually. I'm not the sort of person I want to be. I know I'm not the sort of person that God wants me to be. I have failed to be the man that God wants me to be. Does anyone else here realise that they've failed to be what God wants them to be? But a hope in the glory of God is a joyful confidence that despite the state 
uh, despite all of my current failures, the state of God-likeness, which has been lost because of sin, will be restored to every Christian. Did you know that part of the, a large part of the glory of God is his righteousness? It's who he is. It's him being right. It's him being perfect. You see, our lives aren't just going to be transformed to just be eternal lives. We're going to be transformed into God-likeness. Everything that's bad about us is going to be taken away. Um, The hope of the glory of God is a joyful confidence that overcomes the current frustration that we feel with ourselves for not living up to how God wants us to be. And this hope that we have is a gift that should mark every believer, every disciple of Jesus. Right, so this is starting to add up to a bargain, what, what, what we're seeing up here. It's all adding up because we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God and we stand in grace, this, this new realm, a new paradigm in which we live. And we're joyfully confident in the hope of the glory of God. All right, we're not going to get stuck as our old selves. Um, God is going to transform us to be like him. But wait, there's even more. And it's not a set of steak knives, and no, it's not a second swisher or whatever it is that advertise late at night these days. We also boast or rejoice, you ready for this one? We boast or rejoice in our suffering. Now there's a seller for you folks. Why would we do that? Why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Well, because suffering produces endurance. All right, fair enough, endurance is a good thing, but really, why would we want to rejoice in that? I mean, it's like, yahoo, thanks, I've got endurance, so now I can suffer for longer. What a wonderful gift that is, eh? Firstly, what kind of suffering are we talking about here? Well, it can mean any sort of suffering, anything bad that's happening to us in life as as we suffer through it, it produces endurance. Um, those who know Darren Armstrong, he always had a saying, I don't know if he still says it or not, um, the hardship will do you good. Anyone ever heard him say that? He says, the hardship will do you good. And there came a time when he said, oh, I should stop saying that, it's not right. And I said, but Darren, it's true. It's true, the hardship does do you good. The Bible tells you that. And I took him to this verse and I don't think he really believed me, but it's true. Um, when we're suffering, anything bad that's happening to us, as we suffer through it, it produces endurance. And let's not downplay the trauma of suffering, illness, affliction, grief, persecution, bullying, anxiety, bankruptcy. Any of these kinds of suffering can produce the endurance that Paul is talking about. But I believe that here in its context, it is especially talking about suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ, which is why I wanted to take you to that story this morning of that man who fled with his family from ISIS. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance 
produces character. Uh, You've all heard of the University of Hard Knocks. Kids heard of that one, the University of Hard Knocks? You asked Dad, he might explain it to you later on and um, he'll probably even pay for you to go there when you need to. Um, This is the university that produces character. As we suffer and as we endure suffering, it produces in us character. What sort of character do you think it produces? The image of the tough guy of, oh, I can take this. Is that the sort of character that suffering and endurance produces? Whose strength should we rely on when we go through suffering? We should be relying on God. And that's the sort of character it produces in us. Did you know that this is the character of Christ-likeness? Jesus Christ came as the suffering servant. He endured the agony of the cross, not because he's a tough guy, but because he could draw on the Father. And as we endure suffering, especially as we endure suffering for his name and for his name's sake, our character is being transformed to become more and more like the character of Christ. I don't believe that you can go through life and develop the character of Christ without suffering. Did you see this happening in in the story that we began with? Old mate said that he used to be only a Christian by name. But then something changed. When he started getting persecuted for his faith and and he suffered, and as he endured, he realised that his faith had come alive. When ISIS came along and he began suffering persecution and he lost everything, all of a sudden I think this man realised more of the fullness of what it means to be saved by faith. Maybe he used to know that he had peace with God. Maybe he used to know that he stood in grace. Uh, But that's only half of what it means to be justified by faith. You see, because it wasn't something he lived out, he was just a Christian only by name, he wasn't boasting in the hope of the glory of God and, and he wasn't boasting and rejoicing in his sufferings. But once everything of the world was stripped away from his grasp, He then knew what it meant to boast in the hope of the glory of God because that was the only hope he had. And he knew how to boast and how to rejoice in his sufferings. Did you notice that he didn't just try and find some little thing to try and give thanks for in the midst of his suffering? He actually found a reason to give thanks for his suffering. Not only that, he also wished that we in the West could have a little bit of an opportunity to to share that suffering with him because he realised that the gift that God had given him through that suffering was far greater than the pain of the suffering itself. He just wished that we in the West could have the opportunity to suffer a little bit, to wake us up from our slumber as a sleeping church. I think he says something along the lines of, you lot love life more than what you love Jesus. 
And that is so true for many of us Christians. So many of us know what it's like to have peace with God and we know what it's like to stand in grace. We're forgiven. We think, yes, that's the greatest gift of God. But there's more. There's so much more that we may be missing because fewer of us joyfully look forward to the glory of God um, and, and when we will be transformed to be like him. And even fewer of us still will boast or rejoice in our sufferings. And we tend to think, oh, these sufferings, we've, we've got to come against these in Jesus' name. Whereas God might actually be wanting us to go through sufferings at times to develop our character into the character of Christ. And so when times of suffering come, we need to realize, hey, this may be God doing a good work in me. Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Now, we already talked about hope. What old mate in the Middle East say, he said, I'm not afraid. They can try to hurt me, but they can't take away what is most precious. My Jesus lives in my heart. I can't take him. And then he said, they come in the name of ISIS, but we will stand firm in the name of Jesus Christ and we will not be afraid of him, afraid of them. We leave our houses, but I know that if we leave our faith, we lose everything. What a hope. I just pray that I would have a hope like that. I pray that you would have a hope like that too. It's a hope that gives up everything else and just clings to Jesus for all we're worth. That's it. Hope that gives up everything else and just clings to Jesus. Hope is not simply fantasizing that, golly, I hope I might get to heaven. We're talking about a joyful confidence. This is the sort of hope we're talking about. It's a joyful confidence because we know it is a sure hope. It is a certain hope. It's something that we know that is coming. You know, the world will poo-poo this, this hope that we have. They will tell you that oh, you're just believing in myths and children's fairy tales. They'll tell you it's all just pie in the pie in the sky when you die and they will do the very best that they can to degrade you and to shame you but this hope will not put us to shame how do we know this how do you know that you'll never be put to shame well it's because this whole thing that we've been talking about this morning is an expression of God's unending love God's love has been poured into our hearts I want you to get this poured in bit he doesn't just dribble a little bit of love in there he pours it in It's an overflowing pouring in of God's love his love has gushed into our hearts How do we know that? Well, all we have to do is look at the cross and we know that God loves us. 
But it doesn't stop at the cross. You don't just have to intellectually know that God loves you. We can feel it. Once we've been made right with God, he pours his love into us. He fills his Holy Spirit into our lives. He pours his Holy Spirit into us. We know that we're at peace with God because his spirit hasn't left. His love hasn't left us. The confidence that we have for the day of judgment is not based on our intellectual recognition of the fact of God's love. It's not only that. It's also this subjective certainty that we have because we can feel it. You know God loves you because you can feel it. We stand in grace because our God is a God of grace. And not only are we in him, but he and his graciousness are in us. We boast in the hope of the glory of God because he's already begun his transforming work in us now through his Holy Spirit. Right, You don't have to just trust that, okay, when I die, God's going to transform me and make me more like him. He's already started that work now. Through the Holy Spirit, he's already transforming us to make us like him. You know, when we um, bought our house, one of the first things Robin wanted us to do was um, patch all the holes. We patched all them up and pull out old floor coverings and paint the house inside to make it nice and right she's wanting to put her touch on it wasn't she we men we understand this don't we that's our wives like us to make the house nice and perfectly good curtains well we think they're perfectly good apparently they're no good and they get pulled down and taken to the dump and new ones get purchased and and put up you know what i'm talking about here why why does that happen well, because she's wanting to put her mark on it. I don't want this house like this. I want to change this house into the sort of place that I want to live in. It's not me as it is. I'm going to tear all that out and make it more like me. What do you think the Holy Spirit does when he wants to move into your life? I don't like this the way it is. I'm going to start making some changes around here. And he starts pruning and cutting and taking things away that, that aren't good. And he starts bringing in what he likes. When God moves in, he starts making the changes in your life. He starts transforming you. And that will go on until the day you die. And so he's already started. And that's how we know that we will be transformed completely. Because he's already begun. And we boast or rejoice in our sufferings because no matter how much hate the world can direct towards us, the love of God has so much more power. The world may try to shame us. But when we know how much God loves us, he cares. He cares. Remember, God is pouring his love into your heart. Do you mind if I read that little story to you again? Is that going to make it too long if I read it again? No, right. And this is how I'll finish. 
Today I met a hero. Although he wanted me to, I will not show you his face or his name because his statements are too provocative. My faith is so conditioned to be risk adverse that I double-checked. Aren't you afraid for saying these things? He laughs and says, Afraid? I'm not afraid. They can try to hurt me, but they can't take away what's most precious. My Jesus lives in my heart and they can't take him. This man was rich. When I say rich, I mean he owned three houses, multiple cars and kilometres worth of, of undeveloped land. He managed an office of multiple staff, which he ran with, his, went, with an Islamic man who was his best friend. When ISIS swept through his town to cleanse it of Christians, he picked up his wife and five kids and fled for fear of their lives. As they ran... His best friend phoned and took pleasure in telling him, I have taken everything of yours. I have taken your house. I'm actually calling from inside your house, which is now mine in the name of Isis. My friend replies, I will come back one day, only to hear this chilling reply. No, I will chase you to the next town to which you run now, And we will take everything again. The betrayal and emotional hurt added to fear for physical safety makes what ISIS do so pervasively sinister. Yet my hero friend continues. They come in the name of ISIS, but we will stand firm in the name of Jesus Christ and we will not be afraid of them. We leave our houses But I know that if we leave our faith, we lose everything. I asked him, what will you do if you see your ex-best friend again? He smiles and says, I will love him. And I will leave him alone because my Lord teaches me to do that. But nothing could have prepared me next for what I believe is a truly prophetic message to the Western Church. Before they took away everything, I was a Christian only by name. But now my faith is alive. ISIS is a gift. If ISIS comes to the West, it is a gift from the Lord. It will be a wake-up call for a sleepy church. If you want to spend your time working for more money and more houses and just going along to church on Sundays, you can lose it. But if you work for God, you can never lose it. So I say to the Western church, wake up, wake up. And I was cut to the heart when he concluded with this assessment of us. Christians in the West don't want to die because they're more in love with life than they are with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We also thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life, for the gift of being born again into Christ. 
Lord, help us to love you more than what we love life. Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you in totality even now. So that if and when persecutions or any suffering comes, we know that it's settled in our heart already once and for all. We know that you love us. You've poured your love into us. And how can we do anything but to love you back? Lord, this morning I want to pray for the persecuted church. For men and women, boys and girls, who are like that man whose story we heard this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for those that have stood strong in their faith. Thank you, Lord, that they have found a hope far, far greater than any hope that the world could give them, a a hope far greater than what this life could bring, hope of the glory of God and a hope of boasting in Jesus Christ even through sufferings, especially suffering in his name. Lord, I pray for the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians, probably millions, who have had to flee their homes and who are now in various spots, some in refugee camps, some being resettled, some still trying to get away. Lord, we pray for them that you would keep their faith strong And we pray that for them and for us, that our faith, that we would be so much more than just Christian by name, but that we would live it and we would love you and that we would be boasting in Jesus every opportunity we have in Jesus' name. Amen.